0: Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the shows that created the collective unconscious of those who are little seal girls living in the real world. I'm Hannah Leach, a writer, musician, audio producer, and deep influencee of one Ginger Foutley.
1: And I'm Audrey Leach, director, editor, producer, and number one consumer of Cheez-Its in the Tri-State area. We are the sister duo, also known as Tuping Productions, and we haven't stopped thinking about our favorite on-screen experiences since we first saw them.
0: We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the media that first inspired our love for pop culture in an attempt to answer the question, is this stuff actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if it is? today
1: we are talking about Nickelodeon's as told by ginger
2: someone once told me the grass is much greener on the other side,
0: It's been a long time coming, but we are finally here doing our very first episode of Sleepover on a TV show. And we're starting on maybe one that's
1: not the most popular, but it should be the most
0: popular. <laughs> to me, it's the most popular for sure. I'm sure everyone's like, why isn't it Lizzie McGuire? Why isn't it Speed yeah. Life of Zack and Cody? And my answer is because this show raised me. For real. It's kind of like the first episode was Sound of Music because it raised Audrey. And this one is as told by Ginger because it raised me. So we have a whole new format here. It's similar to the movie episodes, but there are some different little moments. And I'm excited for you to experience it with us. So question for the culture.
1: The culture is super sick right now. It's actually really bad, period. Period.
0: Which came first, the popular girl IRL or the popular girl in TV shows? What do we think? I mean, it has to be
1: in real life. You feel like it's not even a real thing anymore because they've taken the trope so far that it's like a trope of a trope of a trope of a trope. Yes. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's always been like the prettiest and or wealthiest girl so really true. I think it is based in reality and people do naturally and kids naturally feel inferior to others. Yeah, I think by the time it was in our childhood, it was already like
0: <laughs> quickly getting out of control. It was an industrial complex by the time yeah. we encountered it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's also that like humans are animals there's pack mentality, there's hierarchy built into things. I will say that I tried to research this question, like I was Googling like origins of the popular girl trope or whatever, and I couldn't find anything. There were only stereotypes about women in general. So I'm sure there's an academic out there with a journal that's about this specifically. And I feel like we could find out from like watching teen movies as far back as they go. Like, I think that that's really interesting. So what's your answer? As a primary source, I can say TV shows and movies make a huge impact on developing brains. And yeah. I really subscribed to the popularity industrial complex as a small child. And I know for a fact that this show was a big part of why. So...
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, yeah. has has the popular girl in a TV show created a mean girl? Absolutely. But... Mean Girls or and or popular girls existed before.
0: Okay, so that's our answer for now. All right, Audrey, are you ready to learn the facts about As Told by Ginger? Yep. So As Told by Ginger premiered on October twenty fifth, two thousand, on Nickelodeon. I would have just started kindergarten. Audrey, you would have been in your first year of preschool. (laughs) So we were quite little when this came out. Um, Production of the show ended in 2004, with some episodes to this day remaining unaired on US TV. The airing of the show ended on November 14th, 2006, after it had been booted off of Nickelodeon proper to Nicktoons in 2004. There were three seasons, 60 episodes, and each episode ran 24 minutes long. It was produced by Klasky Supo, who also produced Rugrats, and I'm thinking they had to have been involved with Rocket Power too, just based off of how the characters look. And the series was created by Emily Kapnick, who is a hero to me personally, but she created this show, but she also wrote on Suburgatory, Parks and Rec, and The Wild Thornberrys. She was a playwright first. She was 28 years old when the series got created, which is scary to me, but good for her. And she won a screenwriting competition in 1997, and that ultimately led to the creation of the show. So shout out to Emily, a star among us. There's a really good podcast called
1: we're all in between actually and she's did an interview on that i listened to it it was good do you want to read the synopsis Ginger Foutley, she, along with her friends, Darren Patterson, Dodie Bishop, and Macy Lightfoot, all try to rise from the position of school geeks as they solve many conflicts that come their way. Luckily for Ginger, the most popular girl in school, Courtney Gripling, has taken a liking to her and often includes her in her social plans. She is intrigued by her gingerisms, as Courtney calls them. However, Miranda Kilgallen, Courtney's right-hand woman, makes sure that she is not bumped down from her position thanks to Ginger. At home, Ginger records her lively adventures in her diary. Her little brother, Carl, is often scheming with Robert Joseph, also called Hoodsy, Bishop, in his own side plots. And her mother, Lois, is always there for advice, to which Ginger is always open to listen. The series was noted for its storylines, character development, and the fact that the characters change outfits each time a new day comes. And they also grow older.
0: The only people that don't change outfits are Carl Carl and Hoodsy, which makes sense because they're gross.
1: Hoodsy actually does change outfits kind of a lot. In the episodes we watched... Well, it's more just variations, but he does. He does.
0: Okay, so Common Sense Media, obviously very relevant to a Nickelodeon show. The show was rated four stars and appropriate for ages seven and up. And the little slug... Thingy is, junior high girls are models of self esteem. (laughs) And then parents need to know the following. Parents need to know that the main characters are three intelligent, well adjusted junior high girls who are comfortable with themselves. Ginger's mom, Lois, provides an admirable role model as a single parent who balances work and family life and is a strong force in her kids' development. The two coolest girls in school poke some fun at Ginger and her friends, but it only serves to reinforce their strong self esteem, which is a consistent theme of the show families can talk about the pressure to be part of the in crowd how important is it to be accepted among the so-called cool kids what if being cool meant doing or saying things at others expense which group of kids on this show would you rather be friends with why parents also can talk about ginger's relationship with lois It's a lot of questions and they're all extremely valid And then as for audience opinions, I tried to find critic opinions. And strangely enough, I really couldn't find anything from the time that was a review. I kind of found things that were like, tonight this show is premiering or like promo-y things than anything else. But I did give it a shot. So I just went onto Twitter and looked up the name of the show and saw what people were saying. But the vast majority of people are saying that as told by Ginger, is their emotional support show, their comfort show, the show they put on when they're trying to fall asleep. And I can definitely understand that. One person said, it's like a boost of serotonin before sleep. And I watched five episodes last night before I went to bed and can fully agree. And then there was also a good dose of anti-doty sentiment because a lot of people think she's a shitty friend. And while we didn't see her be particularly shitty in the episodes we watched, she is a really ungraceful social climber. Okay, now for the cast. So I only expanded upon the people that had other credits that were like particularly relevant to us. But all of these people have had really sustained voice actor careers, but not necessarily a ton of named roles. So like things for video games, things for direct to streaming or direct to home video type stuff. Nothing that anyone our age would really be familiar with, probably. So I just put stuff in here that I thought would be relevant. We have Melissa Disney as Ginger, no relation to Disney, Disney. We have Jeannie Elias as Carl. She was Janice in Over the Hedge. We have Tress McNeil as Hoodsy. She was in The Simpsons for a long time, like did some role on The Simpsons for like 5,000 years. She was Dot in Animaniacs and Linda in Futurama, plus a ton of other things. And her voice is super familiar when you're watching the show. So it makes sense that she's been in so many things. Then we have Aspen Vincent, really cool name, as Dodie. We have Jackie Harris Greenberg as Macy. We have Lorraine Newman as Lois, Liz Georges as Courtney, and of course, Cree Summer as Miranda. And we've talked about Cree Summer before because she was the voice of Penelope the Dragon in Barbie Rapunzel. She is kind of like the iconic black woman voice actor of the cartoons of our childhood. So she's in Atlantis, The Lost Empire. She's in Rugrats as Susie Carmichael. She's in As Told by Ginger. She was in Codename, Kids Next Door, The Buzz on Maggie, My Life as a Teenage Robot, and many, many more things. She's like a very interesting figure in pop culture. And I am just happy whenever I hear her voice in anything. And then we have Kenny Blank as Darren and Kath Susie as Blake. And you can definitely tell that she was and Lil on the Rugrats while she's doing her performance as
1: Blake Grippling. We also have to mention that Jennifer Coolidge is a voice in the final (laughs) episode of the entire show, which is more like a TV
0: movie. It's over an hour long. Yeah. And we will definitely talk more about her performance in that episode when we get to talking about that episode. So in terms of our memories of the show, what do you remember, Audrey?
1: (laughs) I mean, everybody remembers the theme song obviously. I remember thinking that the animation style for their faces was insane. Like I they all look crazy. I always wanted to skip Carl's parts. Like (laughs) watching it now, I do think he's funny. As a kid, I was like, I have zero time for this. And I could have done without his storylines. And then the other thing that I remember is just More that it's associated with you and like your perception of yourself, kind of like in school, or like that it was linked to, in my mind, it's linked to like your need to have an enemy, like in elementary school.
0: Someone like established this. (laughs) I think it was mom. It's totally mom (laughs) of me needing to have a rival. Yeah. And, is the answer that I need to have a rival or that I simply had them? Well, it, it really is answer? a choice. Unless unless you get punched in the face, I think. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is that Ginger does not partake in any rivalries
1: at all. I know, but she's very observant and she writes. I I don't know. I think there was just enough things in common. Yes. But yeah, the actual mean girl dynamic in this show is really different. We'll talk about that in the second half. Yeah. It's not your typical thing.
0: I think, okay, I have so many memories with this show. I have a really funny one about you, but I'm going to save it until the end of the memories because I just remembered about it. First thing I remember is that this show similarly to like unfabulous which we'll definitely get to is like journaling and songwriting propaganda of the highest order. I started journaling in first grade. In fact, I'm looking at my first grade journal right now. It's really funny, the stuff that's in there. You have to read something. You have to. It's really sweet looking, first of all. I got this at a book fair and it is this. It's like a like a reptile skin situation, but it's blue and green and it's awesome. And there's dragons. but supposed to be dragons. Dragon skin. Okay, look, it says, this journal belongs to Hannah Leach. <laughs> it has this giant drawing of a, a dragon. Okay, here's one selection. Dear journal, but journal is spelled J-O-N-I-L. I went, okay, I'm just going to read it as if it's actually discernible, but it's very much not. Dear journal, I went to the book fair. At the book fair, I got you. <laughs> Audrey got a Clifford book. I hope she likes it. <laughs> Love, Hannah. Next paragraph. My imaginary friend went on a date. And guess what? She kissed. I can't believe it. Oh, no, you're imagine- <laughs> What do you mean? What do you mean? Mo- I, I am scandalized by the fact that my imaginary friend <laughs> kissed someone on her date. Like, I don't know what to tell you. And then I wrote down. My dad is going down. My mom is cool. (laughs) Whoa. I'll have to send, I'll have to send you an image of this. That's terrifying. Uh, It's so good. What did dad do? Wait, okay. I have one more I'll read. I could keep going, but this one's about dad. Today, my dad overslept. That has literally never happened. I am having a good morning. I'm watching Rocket Power. Twister is very happy. Now Rugrats is on. This episode is very interesting. (laughs) My life is pretty hard. (laughs) Because almost every day I have school. Now Spongebob Squarepants is (laughs) off, But the way, I need to send you a picture of this because the way I spelled Spongebob is so fucking crazy. (laughs) Big journaler, clearly a big journaler in 2001. She also was a big songwriter. And so I absolutely like wrote my own little songs in a little notebook. And I actually was looking at those recently, too, because the notebook's at mom and dad's house. Okay, guys, so had I turned one more page over in my first grade journal, I would have discovered (laughs) that I absolutely plagiarized a song from Asshole by Ginger in my journal. So this is what I wrote. This is a song I wrote. There were were copper-colored ponies. And the air that that smelled like rain. And the moon was out at daytime when I first learned your name. Then the clouds start talking to you. And and then it feels like I was home. In this parcel place, I don't don't have something, something. And then, (laughs) you hold my heart as one all along which i'm pretty sure is a line from a song on the shrek soundtrack so that's where i was in 2001 all of this makes sense the song i lifted was from the camp caprice tv movie and i think the way that this show feels very much like a representation of high school but isn't quite all the way there really resonated with me because I fully understood everything that was going on but it still felt kind of like cool and grown up but not in like an edgy rude Disney Channel way in like a really earnest way I could I could keep going with the memories but I have to share the one about Audrey which is this is also from when we were living in Boston so first grade preschool And we, so when we were at home in Ohio, our babysitters would always be our grandparents. But when we lived in Boston, we would have like more normal babysitters or like random people, like a girl or like someone's nanny or whatever. So we had this babysitter come over. Her name was Kate. And Audrey, as we said last episode, was like a really anxious child, like a really, really anxious child. I don't know if you're going to remember this, but I feel like Definitely not. Audrey was a super anxious child, and mom and dad went out one night, and it was the night that the, as told by Ginger, Camp Caprice TV movie premiered, and Audrey was, like, so anxious about mom and dad leaving, and just so worked up, she was, like, sobbing, and then she threw up on... (laughs) The carpet. What? <laughs> While I was watching the movie. Yeah, you like threw up. I remember the texture of the volume. Ew. And I don't remember this at all. Like, I remember because you were so little, but she had to like clean it up and you were like so terrified. And I was just like, I'm just trying to watch my As Told by Ginger movie. Like, I don't know what's going on. But yeah, Ew. you threw up. You threw up. That's really
1: rare. I've only thrown up like. Maybe four times in my life. Maybe. That was one of the times I remember it. That's funny. Very
0: clearly. I didn't
1: even know that one happened. I thought I only had thrown up twice in my life. Really? Yeah. One was just being sick one time. Like I had the flu as a kid. And then uh, peanut, one of my peanut reactions. I thought that was the only two times.
0: You've never thrown up from drinking? Nope. Wow. Not once. That's really impressive. All right. So how we are approaching the second half of this episode is that we picked the first episode, the last episode, and an interesting episode just from the course of the show to watch and take notes on. However... I ended up watching a couple more just because I love this show and I wanted to make sure that I like saw maybe a few more emotional beats. So that's what we did. We have lots of notes and synopses and whatnot, and I cannot wait to get into it. All of us told by Ginger is on Paramount Plus, so you can watch it there. everybody. Welcome back. And it is time for us to walk through these As Told by Ginger episodes. We're going to start with season one, episode one. But before we get into that, I just have to say there was a pilot made that never aired on TV. Well, that's not true. It did premiere on October 9th, 2015 on The Splat, which is like a deep random cable channel of Nickelodeon but the animation looked significantly weirder. So if you thought the regular show looked weird, the original pilot was like even more stylized. So you can be grateful it didn't look like that if you don't like the style. So it was produced in 1998 and it did not air until almost 20 entire years later. (laughs) So... That was the truth for that thing. And this will also kind of be a recurring theme with the show, which is that Nickelodeon didn't have a ton of reverence for it in its airing order, in its continuity, and that was kind of like to the detriment of everyone's viewing experience,
1: but... They just didn't know what to do with it. Of course, it doesn't make sense that they would let it air so out of order when literally it's the only cartoon like ever made where it actually mattered that it was aired in order. Whoever greenlit the show did not follow through on their, you know, I guess in their
0: passion for it. I don't know. They kind of just let it falter. I don't know. I think... It is way smarter than they signed up for, probably. We're going to get into it. But okay, let's start with season one, episode one, Ginger the Juvie, premiered on October 25th, 2000. Audrey, what happened in this episode?
1: Ginger is invited to Courtney's birthday party, but doesn't know what to get her. Miranda tells her that stealing the enter sign from the bank would be the perfect gift. Ginger, Dodie, (laughs) Macy, and Darren agree to do it, but Miranda calls her father, Officer Kilgallen, and reports the theft. Meanwhile, Blake steals Carl's most prized possession, his petrified
0: eyeball. As you were watching this, what were some of the things that just stood out to you immediately?
1: <laughs> well, I was thinking about how rare it is for our cartoons to focus solely on social interactions. Like there's uh-huh. nothing extremely supernatural going on. Or like there's nothing like they're not doing insane shit, even though it's a cartoon and they could be doing insane shit. So there's that. I also, you immediately notice the racial diversity yeah. with within the extras even. Just the random people walking by. Like, there's just like a real effort. Obviously, all these characters are being drawn. So it's very intentional. There is nothing about this that is unintentional. And I appreciate that. Miranda always reminds me of Naya Rivera.
0: Very similar energy. I can totally yeah. see that
1: like they Santana's character in Glee and Miranda and then also just Naya herself like yeah. they're similar to me. I just think it's funny that she gets arrested in the in the not the pilot but the first <laughs> episode
0: of the show. Like what? I know. I had the feeling as I was watching it that I have seen that episode I think a zillion times. I think that that episode got replayed a lot on nickelodeon when it was actually airing which makes sense because you didn't need any context to understand what you were seeing yeah so that struck me i laughed out loud multiple times watching this one of the lines that made me laugh was when uh when miranda's like Well, it's a gift that every girl would want. And then Macy's like, an interest yielding IRA account. That's what every girl wants (laughs) on the inside. (laughs) Like, that is just so, like, I rewound it because I was like, is that really what she just said? That was really funny. And then also when Miranda's like, give me a call after school. That's when I get home from clarinet. But like said it in such a menacing way. That made me laugh out loud too. This show is such a comfort show. This episode comforted me so much in so many ways. What I was
1: kind of alluding to earlier with the mean girl dynamic is that Courtney does not behave like a head mean girl. Miranda's the one who's behaving like the head mean girl, but Courtney's like richer maybe. So she's got the top spot. And it's, yeah. it's like, in what world do the most popular girls like constantly interact with the weird girls? Like it's like kind of yeah. strange, but it's because Ginger is in this like quasi popular position. Dodie and Macy are not popular. They're quite
0: weird, but Ginger isn't. What I was just thinking, and this is a recurring theme of the show, is that Courtney chooses her as a friend because she doesn't put it in these words, but because Ginger is so authentically herself and, like, unconcerned with, yeah. I don't know, being any particular way for anyone, to the point where somehow Courtney is not secondhand embarrassed to be affiliated with, like, Macy or something like yeah. that. Who is legitimately so weird. Yeah. But also there's something in this show, too, that will – end up talking about more but like as much as extreme like popularity and like like glow ups and shit like that are a central part of the story also extremely bizarre things are just as important like with Carl and Hoodsy and also with Macy being really weird like mm-hmm. there's a lot of romanticizing of extremely bizarre shit in this show there as is well. yeah I, at the time, when we were like little girls, we were like, ew. But yeah. now, watching it, it's like, oh, there was actually a lot more to this than I realized yeah. as watching it.
1: Just oh, kidding. When I listened to the interview that Emily did about the show, she basically was talking about how she never wrote the scripts as though it was an animated show. When you can really, yeah. really tell that, yes. um, it's just, there. it doesn't follow any of the basic tropes that, other cartoons of its time did and you can she just she's taking everyone with the seriousness of a live action prestige on hbo like prestige (laughs) show yeah um i like that i think for sure though season one episode one doesn't like they hadn't really hit their stride yet but like in the later obviously it's the first episode but like the things that make the show
0: as great as it was are not in the first episode they just had to set up all the all the dominoes basically I also just have to say I know he'll come up more but I love Blake Grippling. yeah (laughs) like this little fancy boy like everything he says he's like well Carl I was going to whatever I love him he's probably my favorite character I want us to be able to talk about moral and emotional takeaways from each episode. But as Audrey just said, it kind of really hadn't hit its stride yet. So I think what we took away from this is this is a really interesting, naturalistic world we are about to be watching. So with that, we are moving on to season two, episode 17. And she was gone.
1: Season two, episode 17 premiered on June 6th, 2002. And here's the summary of the episode. Ginger writes a poem about a girl who wants to disappear for a competition. When (laughs) Miss Zorsky reads it, she believes Ginger is suicidally depressed and makes her see the school psychologist. Meanwhile, Carl tests his vanishing powder on Noelle Sussman, who he thinks is a nobody. But when Noelle really does disappear, Carl deeply regrets it. And this episode was nominated for an Emmy Award in 2003. It didn't win
0: sadly like it's it's kind of off-putting it's kind of dark and creepy and the reason why it's dark and creepy if you don't remember this episode is that whenever Ginger is reading her poem we get dropped into this like fantasy realm that's black and white. And the protagonist of the poem is like this super gaunt, like Tim Burton looking character. And it's her like walking around a little town and like walking in like liminal space and there's birds and there's like puppet strings. Right. Yeah. Before we get into our notes, I just want to read the poem to you guys (laughs) and let us know if you heard this Would you think that a eighth grader is on the brink of S word? Let's find out. She chose to walk alone, though others wondered why. Refused to look before her, eyes cast upwards towards the sky.
2: She didn't have companions, no
0: need for earthly things.
2: Only wanted freedom from what she felt were puppet strings. She longed to be a bird that she might fly away. She pitied every blade of grass, for planted they would stay. She longed to be a flame that brightly danced alone. Felt jealous of the steam that made the air its only home. Some say she wished too hard, some say she wished too long, but we awoke one autumn day to find that she was gone. The trees, they say, stood witness. The sky refused to tell. But someone who had seen it said the story played out well. She spread her arms out wide, breathed in the break of dawn. She just let go of all she held, and then she was Poor dear, we didn't even know you were suffering. What? Man, if I'd have known you were, like, clinically depressed, I might have gone a little easier on you.
0: That is the poem in question.
2: I kind
1: of feel like... Her mood was really good when she was writing it. And that kind of threw me like she was feeling really inspired. She was like, oh, this shit is good. Like she was, (laughs) she was happy when she was writing it. And I think for me, that was like a bit of a difference. You know, she's not suicidal, but she's just talking about the fact that it's okay to have these feelings, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And people around her are concerned, but I kind of felt like it wasn't quite dark enough like I don't think I would be concerned knowing what her disposition was like at the time
0: yeah I thought because I did not remember this episode when we decided to do it I thought that this was gonna be a lot better that it was. Like I thought they didn't really go very far, but I guess I, I mean, for the can't. time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what other cartoon would even sort of get this
0: far like nobody else? Well, it's also interesting too because the B plot is that Carl gets this vanishing powder that like makes this girl in his class like disappear. He thinks he made her disappear. That's definitely not a coincidence? No, they go together. Not sure. Yeah, but I'm not really sure what we're supposed to get from those two things together.
1: Basically, the link is that Noel, he's kind of projecting this idea that like Noel could have been depressed or something and she like she could have died. Like I feel like that was like mm-hmm. the idea is like she disappeared yeah. Um. And he also had like slowly taken a liking to her during the process of <laughs> seeing if she would disappear or or not. Yeah. yeah. And so he's like, "Oh, I actually this this girl who I thought was like a nobody, I actually like really like and admire from
0: afar." And then he thinks he killed her, basically, for like a second. And uh, and also on top of that, like. They they get this vanishing powder and they're like we want to try this on someone but like who will no one notice is gone yeah like, exactly who? yeah and then so they choose her but then they start observing her and she's really fucking weird and as we were talking about earlier there's but also like romanticizing <laughs> of the weird so Carl's like damn it like that could have been the love of my life but then I disappeared her instead and that is I mean that is the deep, link. Like- Yeah, that is the link. It's just interesting because the whole Carl thing is about finding the gross, nasty thing and, like, finding the beauty in it and the appreciation of it. Yeah. And I'm just happy that that's there in this show. And he's really funny. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He is funny. He, he talks like a middle-aged person,
2: kind of. With Blake and his whole family at the hospital, we don't need to resort to blackmail. We can simply borrow his telescope for the weekend, then return it before he ever knows it's gone. That's a total violation of the new toy code. What new toy code? And I quote, no decent human shall play with another man's toy until the new toy recipient has had the opportunity to play with it himself, especially without asking. You wrote it, circa second
0: grade. I have a couple other things. This kid, Brandon, who's in. Yeah, yeah, I wrote that too. (laughs) I wrote down who is gay-ass Brandon. (laughs) Mrs.
2: Gordon, have you ever taught a student whose adorable little pet became famous? Because sometimes if your pet's really, really adorable and special, it can get famous.
0: (laughs) He has, like, rosy cheeks and he's, like, really silly. And I'm like, what is this supposed to be? (laughs) I love him, though. (laughs)
1: Do you think that Noelle is supposed to be, like, on the spectrum? I I feel like she kind of is, but I sort of love that, like, it's just unspoken.
0: Like, it's just like, this is just how she is. I also think that there's something really interesting in this show, just to go back to the Carl thing. Where, now that I'm thinking about it, like, the second episode of the show, he's, like, best friends with this old lady who dies. And then he's friends with Noelle, who's a very weird person. And then in the ending, you can see that he's, like, he's been, like, a pen pal to all of these prisoners. Like, all of these people that are in—all these incarcerated people. And— it's just, he has no interest in like normal people, quote unquote. All he cares about are these people that have been like scrapped by society. Like those are his people. And it's it's done in such a like earnest way. Again, I just love it when shows are very sincere with their characters and that's what he does. And yeah, I love it.
1: I was going to transition into a different topic, but it's kind of for a a different episode. But I loved, and this is another thing that was in the Emily Kapnick interview. She was talking about how much fun she had writing the songs for the show and being so heavily involved with it. She actually has written theme songs for other shows too. Like it's something that she Mm -hmm. does. And they turned the poem into a song and put it in the credits for this episode. She chose to walk alone.
0: Wondered why, refused to look before her eyes cast upward toward the sky. She didn't have companions, no need for earthly things. She only wanted freedom from what she felt were puppet strings.
1: And I love that. And th- that comes back in a later episode, too. Like, w- what they do with music is very,
0: like, of the time. Yeah, I wrote down song at the end was fierce. Yeah, so agreed. And then I had two other small notes, which is. Miranda's outfit when she's in the cafeteria having listened to the poem, no notes, perfect. And then also when Courtney starts like dressing up in like emo drag and like crying performatively everywhere, like that was really funny to me.
1: That's why I was reminded of Hope is Emo. Oh, that
0: makes sense. Cause that's what it reminded me of. I, what ended up being the results of that poll? Cause I voted in it literally like. Eight people knew about
1: it and like 40 people didn't.
0: (laughs) That is kind of unbelievable.
1: I mean, it was obscure relatively. Like that's not that's not a widespread thing in the way a lot of other viral videos were. I just remember that we had it on our iPods. I think it was like a video
0: podcast or something. Yeah, it was. Yeah, wow. If you remember the episode with I'm a little seal girl living in the real world, it is just as good as you remember. It is just as funny and bizarre as you remember. Cannot recommend watching it again. There isn't that much to deeply comment on, but it's extremely iconic.
1: Yeah, it's the one that it's like the only
0: episode that I actually remembered. It's because it's so bizarre that it, like, burns into your brain forever. Yeah. Maybe we'll put in a little clip of her singing it here. It's yeah. just so good. I cannot recommend that one enough.
2: I'm a little seal girl living in a real world. And it's so hard to get by. Because seals can't even cry. Miranda? Is it me? Or is there something terribly endearing about her? But in this endless boundless sea Is there no one who looks like me?
0: So this episode we weren't originally going to talk about, but I hunted it down because I felt like we needed to watch it. So this episode, the next one, is season three, episode 13. It's called A Lesson in Tightropes. It was broadcast on October 23rd, 2016 on the former Teen Nick Hour on the splat which is now nicknamed Nick Rewind so this was extremely disrespected obviously Darren finally decides to tell Ginger the truth and he breaks up with her Darren is talking to another girl on the side she returns home where her friends try to comfort her until she eventually cries herself to sleep when Lois comes to check on her she finds her daughter unconscious with a fever this all turns out that Ginger is having an acute appendicitis attack and she is rushed to the hospital where Dr. Dave her future stepfather saves her life by performing an emergency the operation as she is recovering many of her friends and family come to visit including her father jonas carl becomes worried that their father's appearance will rekindle lois's feelings for him and ruin her relationship with dr dave meanwhile ginger reflects on her relationship with darren and orion her bandmate comes to reveal his true feelings for her a lot happens in this episode
1: (laughs) yeah it's some of the most melodramatic cartoon television i've ever seen in my life maybe the most melodramatic. Um, It has all the high drama, again, of, like, an HBO prestige show. Like, fuck euphoria, like, at this point. Like,
2: Jesus.
1: (laughs) It starts with her being, like, have you ever, like, it's so solemn, and there's, like, voiceover, and it's, like, have you ever felt like things in your life were just off, but you don't know why? And it's, like, slow motion and she passes the girl that Darren is secretly talking to on the side in the hallway and they just pass each other and like, and then they cut to Darren who's squeezing out tears in the corner of the bathroom stall saying, I have to tell, I have to, I can't keep lying to Ginger. Like it's just, and the context of Darren too is that they are childhood best friends. Like in her friend
0: group, Darren is a part of it. So and there's also a big part of it, too, which is that when you first meet him, he's like very geeky, has headgear, like very much not a hottie. But over the course of the show, he does become an extreme hottie and he's on the football team and everything. So that's another element to the dynamic.
1: Yeah. And so they've been dating. And I actually do kind of want to go back and watch the kindling of that relationship because yeah. we we missed that but it's so intense and then she immediately has this medical emergency the under the underrated part of this episode or that they don't even like mention is like when in a cartoon ever have you seen the dynamics of a ex husband and a new father like the joke yeah. between Jonas and Lois's boyfriend like yeah. when have you ever seen those dynamics explained in a children's cartoon carl does not like jonas his biological father like he is on the side of the new bf not jonas yeah and so It's just the whole thing is so rare. And it was so wholesome when he was outside of the hospital room and Ginger was in there with her biological parents and Carl was outside with the new boyfriend and like held his hand. It was so cute.
0: It was really cute. I feel like, okay, like for us, for example, our parents are together. They've been together. They will be together. um, Knock on wood. For kids who grew up with separated parents and for kids who didn't grow up with separated parents, it's really positive for everyone to see like a non-traumatic representation of that kind of dynamic because we wouldn't know you know we never would have known that from our own experience and it's just so gentle and loving the entire yeah the entire thing yeah and it's just like it might feel tense
1: or a little uncomfortable but everyone at the end of the day like is an adult and does handle themselves as an adult like regardless yeah. of their feelings so there's just nothing overly toxic going on but it's you can still sense the realistic tension of the situation
0: we also have to talk about the fact that at the beginning of the episode she gets broken up with and then she goes to band practice yeah (laughs) and she sings this original song that a sounds so much like Alanis Morissette yeah Yeah. (laughs) it sounds so much like Alanis but it's
1: so Good. Yeah. Which was on purpose. Like that's another thing Emily said in the interview was it was an Alanis thing, obviously.
2: It's kinda sad, really, I'm a sword who linger when
0: This was the most emotionally touching thing to me of the entire watch session that we did, which was as she is, like, in the hospital, like, fully comatose, her mom is, like, having this flashback in her mind of, like, Ginger as a baby and then as a toddler. And then it turns into Ginger as an adult, like, in a laundromat, like, reading a book. And I was like... It's like Lady Bird on crack. Like, it's actually... Yeah.
1: Yeah. Although... The relationship between Lois and Ginger is, like, really interesting because she doesn't have any seed of, like, angsty teen towards her mom. I'm sure maybe they do it for one episode at some point during the show where she has, like, a little arc with her mom. But for the most part, it's
0: just, like, smooth sailing. Yeah, which is really nice. It's really nice. Like, because again, this goes back to my whole thing about how I hate Disney Channel shows because they're mean to their parents until it gets to the point where, like, Billy Ray Cyrus has to be like, well, Buttercup, you gotta whatever. Uh, this show is just very, they just have a good relationship. And also, going back really fast to the montage thing. So it's like Lois is remembering of Ginger as a baby but then it also turns into this thing of like Ginger's like unconscious like all these different elements including the emo Tim Burton looking girl from the episode we just talked about. Yeah, But the the imagining of her future and everything that conceptually to me is very impactful that is in this play that I wrote too like being a teenager and imagining what you're gonna be like when you're older and the hope of the future and everything, that just always really gets me. So, this episode had it. We are going to move on to the series finale. Ooh. Okay, so the series finale, believe it or not, is
1: unaired in the United States on television. Actually, I fully believe that because when did they ever pay the show respect? They didn't. Yeah. Um, it is available, though, now on Paramount+. Plus. In its full form, the whole series is. Nickelodeon had originally asked for the ending of The Wedding Frame to be changed to something less conclusive in case they wished to order more episodes. However, perhaps due to that situation being very unlikely, the original ending was eventually
0: retained. I don't know why they even wanted that when they clearly weren't going to do it. Right. They're just being rude. And to clarify, The Wedding Frame is the name of the episode.
1: Yeah. And here's the summary. Someone is trying to sabotage Lois and Dr. Dave's wedding, which Dr. Dave's mother is planning by hiring Nikki Laporte to play the role of Dr. Dave's old girlfriend. As Ginger is helping her mother plan the wedding, she realizes she has commitment issues and begins to rethink her relationship with Orion and her old one with Darren. Carl and Hoodsy investigate the situation with Lois's wedding while Noel does the same on a much more accurate track. Also, Courtney's family loses all their fortune after Mr. Grippling is arrested. Blake secretly asks Carl if his family can move into his house when the Fowleys move out into a high-class house because Dr. <laughs>
0: Dave is rich. This episode, I have to say, is really weird for a yeah. series
1: finale. I was just like mad the whole time that there was a B-plot. I was like, there, right. there should not, well, there shouldn't be a B-plot with characters we don't know,
0: I, at the very least. Like, yeah, yeah. It was like, Courtney was barely in the episode. Miranda was barely in the episode. It was like this really weird and involved B-plot about, like, people scheming to stop the wedding. And then there's, like, a drag queen. Played by Jennifer Coolidge. That
1: It's like this, like, really snatched blonde, like, I guess, drag queen. Um, who's voiced by something. Yeah, or something. I don't know. It felt really weird for As Told by Ginger to do something that could be potentially extremely tone deaf or like politically incorrect. Like that never happens in the show. And the fact that it was a reveal, like at the very end of the episode is when the the wig comes off of (laughs) Jennifer Coolidge's character. And it's like, what? And then there's like a voice lower thing. And
0: it was really bizarre. (laughs) Yeah, it was really weird. I have to say, like, beat for beat, it was bad. But some of the dialogue was really funny.
1: Yeah. I mean, the parts that were good were great, but it's like we yeah. we should have just had way that the great part should have been this whole episode. Like I don't
0: I totally don't don't agree. It. I don't I don't know. The the ginger plot, and I know we just said this, but she's basically grappling with her ability to like trust in the episode. But that's like maybe a third of the time. Cause Darren had just
1: betrayed her trust. And so her arc is like, uh, like, I don't know if I believe in traditional marriage, blah blah, blah. And her and Lois ultimately have, like a really solid conversation about it. yeah, uh, that
0: like, helps her, yeah. Her mom is basically like, life isn't meant to be perfect. It's supposed to be messy, and it will all like lead you in a positive way, ultimately. How
2: did you know that Dave was the genuine article?
0: You can't know those
2: kinds of things. You can only trust how you feel in your heart and take a blind leap of faith. You have to. That's what life is all about. You know, we're not put on this earth to live perfect lives where we never get hurt and we never make mistakes. We're put here to hurl ourselves headfirst into this crazy world.
0: And the bruises and scrapes you get along the way, they just mean you're living life. This episode, I feel especially, was Prioritizing drawing Lois's boobs very high. Yeah. I don't know what it is with the boob drawing on this character. It is ceaseless. Even when you're far away, it's like a far away shot. The boobs are still huge. They're just, borderline just big. let.
1: Just let it be her characteristic. <laughs> I'm
0: just that's saying. A- it's just it's like Dolly Parton level of boobs. Yeah. I just and think it's funny. That's the it's truth. Like, it's like she'll move and like the little cleavage line moves. It's like someone has put a lot of thought into animating those boobs, you know? And that's beautiful. And someone needed to do it. That's a and good we thing. them.
1: <laughs> when do you ever, other than um, Ariel, when do you ever see Does children have a boob line? In a children's show? But they did give ginger boobs like by the time it's season three, she has boob lines. They're just not like her
0: necklines are just higher. So it's not like super insane. Like I feel like there are definitely like stupid TikToks out there of people being like Lois is a hottie. Lois is a baddie. A milf. A milf. (laughs) Utter milf. I bet there's an episode that is like about that. I I just wish they would have changed Lois's hair. I know. I was thinking about that, too. I was like, why couldn't that have been snatched as well? Yeah. I mean, the very, very end of the last episode is great. But it's
1: really fast. Everything happens super, super fast. And it's one of those moments where you get a jump to the future and Ginger is reading the story of her life. Like, it's her published short stories as told by Ginger. It's one of those. And you find out in that little moment that her and Darren do end up together and they have a child. Oh. Yeah. I didn't get that. Yeah, cuz the baby is black with red h- curly hair
0: that he's oh. holding. Oh. They were they were like how obvious can we possibly make it and I still didn't get it. Yeah, they made it like really <gasps> clear so
1: her and Darren do end up together and then Dodie is there. Macy looks so
0: chic. She does. And cute. She looks great.
1: Yeah. And um, Carl and Hoodsey look hilarious. They're like mob <laughs> yeah. bosses or something. I don't yeah, even know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the parents are in the back holding hands, but they're like aged. And it's just, it's a really, it's like the ending I would expect, but it's a good, like I'm glad they did that because if they didn't do the flash to the future, I would have been like, what the actual fuck was yeah. that ending? I definitely agree.
0: Something about those scenes, as I get older, I start to feel, it fills me with like an existential dread feeling because I'm like, oh, I am like the age of the people in the flash forward scenes and stuff now. Yeah, And like the people I'm friends with now that I've known forever, like they are also the future versions of themselves. Like it just is so weird. It's such a strange part of having grown up, I guess. Not that we're really grown. I still don't really see it that way, but I'm not saying we're
1: all the way, but I am 27. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I think with us having had like two and a half years of our 20s also taken away, it's in a way like, it's kind of like, Oh, you went there. It's like a little less like, I'm going to give myself way more slack than I'm going to give myself slack forever, actually. I'm not ever going (laughs) to. I mean, there's no
0: reason to not give yourself slack.
1: No, I mean, there's people who try to plan out their lives. Like, I literally have friends who, like, still have life plans. And I think it's so funny. I'm like, what are you you doing in terms of, like, a day or, like, a year or anything? I think you're kind of... You can, like... You can have life plans without a timeline. I think that makes more sense. Like to have a I goal agree. without a timeline. Like I have to achieve this by this time because why would you do that to yourself? But I just think like seeing how
0: things have gone in the past five years, like right. why Why do that? Yeah, I feel like things are still very murky for me, but I enjoy things being murky because it means that anything could happen. The unknown is exciting.
1: yeah. I I don't (laughs) I would be so like I mean there's no reason not to like it because what's more boring than knowing what the rest of any space of time is going to be? Like that's the worst. That's like um like that's what like full-time employment is like (laughs) (laughs) right,
0: right, exactly. It's like,
1: well, indefinitely I know I'll be doing this on these days from this time to this. It's like,
0: bro. Actually sad. Okay, so. I just pulled a couple quotes from this piece on Vice that I thought would be a nice way to conclude. This is a story. It was called As Told by Ginger was a feminist masterpiece about the trials of girlhood. And it's written by Ayula Solarin. And she did an interview with Emily Kapnick, but then also wrote just some of her own thoughts. So this first chunk. It was the year that Welcome to the Dollhouse came out, Capnick tells me via email about the creation of the show. I very much wanted to do a dark comedy that focused on how traumatic middle school can be, particularly for girls. The social drama that your parents might dismiss as important that truly felt like death in the moment that you were going through them. I started thinking about why animation didn't tell any stories that felt more grounded and true to life. And then here's another another quote. So this is actually about... This is a quote from one of the hosts of We're In Between, which was the podcast we were referencing earlier. She said, there's an underlying message of not cracking under pressure of doing or not doing things because it's not cool, explains Patricia Miranda, the the co-creator of We're In Between. Don't worry about what people say about you. Be yourself. That's what makes you cool. And then this last little chunk is by the author Ayula Solarin. That's down to the show's success in its understanding of girlhood. Not just as a prelude to womanhood, but an ongoing process of trying to figure yourself out. The show took the opportunity to present not just one relatable titular character, but an array of different complex kids. The characters consistently learned and grew from their mistakes, and I got to learn along with them. The way that this show, again, so sincerely presents its characters going through things that are very relatable to kids who were our age at the time, but they weren't, it didn't feel fungicational ever. Like it never felt like a PSA or anything. It was just very well told stories about characters you really saw yourself in. The show made a huge impact on me.
1: I think it could have made a bigger one maybe if I was just older, but I definitely enjoyed it even if I didn't always understand why maybe... Like, I could not analyze the show at the time to be like, wow, this show is so grounded and it's giving me so much more than everything else does. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> but I, like, I'm throwing up. I have always liked... Um, I've always liked live action shows more than cartoons. Mm. And so this show is the absolute closest I could have gotten to what I like
0: in yeah. a show without it being live action. So there's that. Yeah. I definitely will continue to watch this series. It might become my new show to have on while doing things around the house. Once I get through Love is Blind season three, yeah. that's where I'm gonna be.
1: I do think um you can say as far as like what kind of impact the show left There's so many cartoons now. Maybe they're not necessarily for kids, but there's a lot of, like, adult cartoons or cartoons that everybody watches that address darker topics and that, uh, like, are seen. They're, like, they're very respected. And, like, the craft of them
0: is... Like, BoJack stands, like, emerge from The Mist. Yeah. I just think the fact that this was so intentionally and lovingly made for young girls just makes me appreciate it even more. I definitely think it made an impact on the genre. I think for lots of girls my age, out there like me, this was a big hitter. And I think that it is beyond worth revisiting. I think it is worth watching in its entirety. If you have any kids in your life, put this shit on. I wonder if kids would find it boring. I mean, I
1: didn't find it boring. I don't think so.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't know. Kids still watch. If you like look at what's on TV on like the classic channels, they still play all the old stuff. The question is, are kids watching it or not? I don't
0: know. So I suppose that this brings our first ever TV episode to a close. We have one other type
1: of new episode also that we haven't done yet. I'm sure you could guess what that
0: is, maybe. Yes. But I won't reveal it yet. Broadway? No, we're not doing that. I wish. (laughs) So basically, if you guys have other shows that you are interested in us covering, we will absolutely open up the floodgates to that. Input, we are really excited to have expanded beyond just movies. So, with that being said, Audrey, take us to church. You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com
1: sleepover-cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at tupingproductions.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Sleepover Cinema, and post a full video version of each episode on YouTube every Thursday. You
0: can follow me, Audrey, at Adriana Leach. On everything. And you can follow me, Hannah, at Hannah Ray Leach on Instagram and at Lana Von Trap on Twitter. And as always, you can join us on our Discord server at the link in the episode description or on evergreenpodcasts.com. You can check out our merch at twopinkproductions.com/slash shop. We still have the goods and we also still have a code with case 15 sleepover. <laughs> and of course, if you like the show, send it to your friends, send it to your family. Send it to your local podcasting professional and uh, let us know what they think. <sighs> that me. That's me. I'm your local podcasting professional. <sighs> Sleepover Cinema
1: is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Roll Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Executive producer is Michael DeAloya.
0: Someone once told me the grass was much greener on the other side. That's my Macy Gray. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.